Thank you for returning this evening. Thank you, Olivia, for that ministry of music, and thank you to everyone who participated in our service this evening. I've entitled tonight's handout a response to God. This is going to be my final uh, message on the attributes of God. And as I was thinking about where to go from from here, uh, last week I spoke on the fact that God is a spirit. And that we are spirit and body, and I talked about what happens after we die. Those that are believers in our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And that engendered uh, a number of questions by different people and some good discussion. So I decided where I'm headed next is I'm going to talk about uh, our situation, uh, both uh, the intermediate state when we are separate from our bodies but present with the Lord, and then the eternal state of uh, our resurrected bodies and what we'll be doing, etc. So that's where I'm headed next, and I hope that you will find that to be beneficial and uh, helpful. So tonight, the introduction is, what should our response be to God in light of who he is? We studied the attributes of God, all right, so now what? How are we to apply the knowledge that we have of God? Tonight, I focus on one response out of many. Uh, We could do a series just on what our responses should be to God. We could talk about worship. We could talk about praise. We could talk about thanksgiving. We could talk about a lot of different things. I'm focusing on just one response. It's not the only one. I wouldn't even say it's the most important one. But it is the one that I want to focus on this evening. And that is, our response to God should be one of stillness. Stillness. Prayer and meditation helps us to be still. Psalm 4, verse 1, the uh, psalmist writes, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Say love. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So prayer, of course, is important. And the other element is meditation. Psalm 4, verse 4. Tremble, do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. (coughs) And the key words there in verse 4 are meditate. And be still. So what does it mean to meditate? Well, to meditate is to ponder, to reflect, to muse, to think, to dwell upon, uh, to spend time reflecting. It is uh, a, remun- it's a, uh, a, a continual, uh, habitual, uh, allowing one's mind to just dwell and reflect on a particular subject. Tonight it's going to be 
on God and his deeds or his work. Uh, The word that is used in the Hebrew is actually a word that means to chew the cud. And that is something that is very uh, graphic for me, having grown up on a farm. Uh, You may or may not know that a cow has four stomachs. And uh, the way that a cow digests its food is it grinds up the food, digests it into one stomach, and then regurgitates it back into their mouth again and uh, chews on it and then swallows it and regurgitates it again. And uh, this is a cud. It is uh, that it comes up out of the stomach. And a cow will just constantly be standing there grinding its, its teeth. Cows don't have teeth on the uh, upper jaw. They have teeth on the lower jaw. And they, they just keep going over and over, chewing this cud. So it's to chew habitually. It's, you know, we think about uh, sometimes using that in a negative sense, people uh, being chewed out or whatever the case may be. But here the aspect is to reflect uh, with a great uh, deal of thought. When is a good time to meditate? A good time to meditate is when we are in bed at night. It's not the only time, but it certainly is the preponderance of time mentioned in the scripture to meditate. Psalm 4, verse 4. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Psalm 63, 6. When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. Psalm 63, 6. I meditate on thee in thy night watches. Psalm 77, verse 6. I'll remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart. The psalmist looks forward to the evening hours in which he is free to meditate upon God's word. Psalm 119, verse 48. 148. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on thy word. So the psalmist looked forward to the night. He looked forward to going to bed because it was going to be an opportunity for him to reflect upon God. Now, I don't know what your sleep habits are like. Uh, I don't sleep well at night at all. I never, never have. Uh, In fact, uh, for for many years, uh, I went on four hours of sleep a night. Uh, All through my younger years and college and seminary and all that, uh, I, I slept about four hours a night. And I still don't sleep well at night at all. I'm awake more than I'm asleep. But I find it to be the most productive time of the 24-hour day. It is, for me, the time that I'm most alert. It's the time when everything else is quiet. There's nothing going on in the house. The phone is not ringing. It is just dark. Or uh, I'm sitting there reading. But uh, it's a time to, to reflect. That can be a very terrifying time. People talk about night terrors or uh, night tremors. Nighttime is very bad if you are very, very ill. Uh, it's hard. You sit and all of a sudden your, your pain is in your, your mind. Uh, fears begin to well up and all kinds of stress can come out. 
So nighttime can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, depending on what we're meditating on, depending on what we allow to consume our thoughts. Uh, Maybe some of you don't know anything I'm talking about. You have no problem with eight hours of sleep. As soon as you lie down, your head hits the pillow, you're out until the morning. Well, uh, some of us, it's not that way. And so I uh, look at what is it that we're to meditate on? First, we're to meditate on all that God has done for us, what God has accomplished for us. I will meditate on thy work. And this particular word means God's accomplishments, what God has done. It's wonderful just to take time to reflect on God's goodness, even as we uh, heard tonight, sung in his ministry music, great is God's faithfulness, and reflect on God's faithfulness to us in the past, how God has heard our prayers, how God has met our needs, how we found ourselves in difficult situations, we wondered how it was ever going to work out, and it always did. It always did. You know, the things that you worry about uh, many times don't even come to fruition. I can remember as a young parent, you know, I I would think about uh, how are we ever going to put three kids through college? Well, it happened, okay? It happened. Uh, How are we going to have three weddings? You know, we have daughters and Daughters pay for the weddings. How are we going to do that? Well, they're all married, and uh, weddings are all paid for. You find out that God is, is faithful. It's good to reflect on the faithfulness and on the fears that we once had and how they proved to be nothing to fear at all. It helps us as we think upon the future. Secondly, we're to meditate upon God's action. How he has come to our aid. Thy way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. We're to meditate on God's uniqueness. What God is great like our God. Uh, I like to reflect on those incommunicable attributes that we discussed. Uh, Ways in which God is not only not like us, but not like any creature, not like any being. That he is so distinct from us. Uh, That is very helpful. That is very humbling. Next, we're to meditate on the extraordinary way in which God works. May we understand the way of thy precepts. So I will meditate on thy wonders. Uh, Ways that we don't anticipate. Ways that we wouldn't imagine that God has worked. Um, One of my favorite hymns, uh, talks about that aspect of though uh, there are storms, there are winds, yet uh, God moves, God provides, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. That's good to reflect upon because it means that we can't anticipate. Uh, So many times we want to see how God is going to work. We begin to think out scenarios in our, in our mind. God will do this, or God will do that. Or we have a tendency to want to pray to a specific end and also provide the means. God, I want you to do this. God, I want you to do that. Oftentimes, God meets the needs, needs in ways that we did not anticipate, the ways in which we could not have seen 
or foreseen. And that is good to reflect upon. We are to meditate on all that God has done for us in the past. I will remember the days of old. I will meditate on thy doings. So, why is it difficult for us to be still? And uh, I'm toying here. I think I'll go to number six. I wanted to save that, but uh, I'll go to that first. I guess it's probably more logical. What is it to be still, and then why is it difficult? Well, first of all, to be still is the ability to rest in God. Psalm 46, verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. Cast your care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. To be still means that you, you are willing to give your, not only your life, but the particular situation that may keep you awake at night, the thing that may be pressing hard upon you, that you're just willing to give that over to God with a sense that you don't have to solve it. You don't have to come up with the answer. But you can leave it in God's hands. You can pray about it and say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm frustrated. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're angry. Whatever the case may be, but it's beyond your control. It's good to acknowledge that things are beyond our control. And we fool ourselves in thinking that more is under our control than it really is. The reality is we can't change people's hearts. We can't change people's minds. We can't maneuver. We can't manipulate. All we can do is turn to God. But when I say that's all we can do, that's, that's a great thing we can do. We can turn to God. So it's the ability to cease striving. Next, to be still is the ability to completely accept what God has for us. Be still, ye inhabitants of the isle, thou whom the merchants of Zidon that, that pass over the sea have replenished. Be silent, you inhabitants of the coastlands. I uh, put the NAS there because I think that is a good way of understanding silence, uh, excuse me, stillness in that particular verse. To be silent, to be silent. A person who is not still is a person who talks back. Uh, a, A person who wants to argue. A person who wants to fight. Or a person who wants to get their point across. Or a, a person who wants to be sure that, that uh, you have heard what God is doing. So it's not only the ability to pray that we've already talked about, but it's the ability now to be, to be silent. Just allowing God to work. And accepting the way it turns out. We have a sovereign God. And we don't know what God is doing. But we are to trust him. And part of that trust is simply to accept our lives for the way they are. For our health, for our mental capacities, for our jobs, for our economy, for all things. This is my life. God, you are in control. And I will be content with my life the way 
things are. We are to be still. Next, to be still is to come to a place of complete rest. As a sword of the Lord, how long will you not be quiet? Withdraw your sheath. Be rest and stay still. It's, it's not to be floundering about. It is putting your sword in its sheath. No longer battling. No longer trying to conquer. No longer trying to overcome. But again, that sense of acceptance for what God has for us. And then lastly, to be still is the ability to be calm in the midst of life's storms. Mark 4.39. And being aroused, this is of course Jesus, he's in the boat. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. And it became perfectly calm. Hush, be still. And the wind died down. It became perfectly calm. Uh, To be calm in our minds and in our souls is to be still. So number five, why is it difficult for us to be still? Reason number one. It is difficult to be still because our enemy is chasing us. Psalm 143, verse 3. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. In uh, Psalm 143, we're going to see a number of things here in which David describes his unrest. And the first reason is because the enemy has persecuted his soul. This word literally is chasing his soul. It's hard if somebody's chasing you to just stop because you feel like they're going to catch up. They're going to overcome. You feel like you've got to stay one step ahead. Well, David knew what it was for his enemy to pursue him. You could understand that in human terms, as Saul was chasing him all over the countryside. You could think of that in terms of Absalom and his rebellion against David. Or you could think about it in terms of the evil one, Satan himself, that uh, is pursuing uh, David and wants him to, to fail and to succumb to life's problems or difficulties. There are many things in life that chase us. There are reasons for us to be unnerved or afraid if you take God out of the, out of the picture. Secondly, it is difficult to be still because we are broken. He has crushed my life to the ground. The word that crushed here literally means to break into pieces. We use that terminology to talk about people that are losing it. We say they're falling apart or they're going to pieces. Uh, There are times in which we are an emotional wreck. And we may find ourselves weeping upon our bed. Or our mind is just racing with all kinds of things and we're losing it. We have a tendency to, perhaps, we lost our temper. Uh, perhaps we've just become incredibly impatient. Or we find ourselves beginning to doubt our relationship with God or with others. And we feel ourselves losing it. That's tough at that moment to say to yourself, I need to be calm. I need to be still. 
God will help me. God will be my strength. God will be my shield. You see, that's the discipline of making yourself turn in your thought life and not dwelling upon the negative, but dwelling upon who God is and his promises to us. See, it is difficult to be still because we're looking for a way out. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have been dead. Like those who have been dead. Um, Living in dark places. Places where you cannot see the light of day. One of the expressions I like is seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, there is no light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. You, you, you don't see an end in sight. It, it seems like this is going to be permanent. It seems like it's never going to change. Now, we know that it's not the case, but yet we can feel that way sometimes. That I'm never going to get relief. It's never going to get better. And, of course, there are such things as terminal illnesses, etc., etc. But when we can't see a way out. See, there's a difference between concern and worry. Concern looks for ways out. Worry occurs when we can't find a way out. We we need to be responsible in our lives. Please understand that. I'm not saying that we just bury our heads in the sands and we become irresponsible and just throw up our hands and say, well, it doesn't matter. God will take care of us. No, we have responsibility. But there are times in which we don't see a way out. We don't don't see what we could do to solve the situation. You know, maybe you have a tendency to lay awake at night if you have a teenage driver and it's late at night and it's raining or snowing and you're thinking about... Are they going to make it home all right? Are they in a ditch? Or all the kinds of things that can run through someone's mind. Well, that's not particularly helpful. Uh, that doesn't going to bring them home any uh, quicker. Uh, it is being able to rest in situations that are beyond our control. D, it is difficult to be still because we feel ourselves about to faint. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. That David feels like he's about ready to give up, to throw in the towel, to say, that's it. I can't take any more. Maybe you've been in situations where you have said to yourself or to God, I I can't take any more. That's it. Uh, Anything else is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm not going to be able to to cope. I can't deal with one more problem. I can't deal with the kids crying anymore. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with that. It's just all that I can take. Next, it's difficult to be still because we feel all alone or deserted. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. I don't know why that word is used. That doesn't communicate to me what the the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word is again to be alone or or deserted. 
We aren't alone. And we aren't deserted. But we can feel that way. We can feel like nobody cares. We can feel like nobody is interested. We can feel like nobody gets it, nobody understands. Nobody's concerned. Nobody's helping me. We can feel terribly alone. And that can lead to frustration. That can lead to sorrow. That can lead to anger. That can lead to contempt. It can lead to all kinds of of negative emotions. But we have the promise of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. We are never, ever alone. And for most of us, we have people that care about us. We do have people that are interested in us. It's our minds going to dark places that aren't helpful or beneficial. All I'm saying to you tonight is, as you think about God, make these attributes of God incredibly personal to you. As you lay on your bed, remember that God is all-wise. Remember that God is all-knowing. He knows everything that you're experiencing. He knows all you're going through. You don't have to rehearse it. He's aware of it. Know that he's loving. Know that he's kind. Know that he's, he's patient. Know that he's forgiving. You know, if you're, if you're laying on your bed and beating yourself up because of something you did, and you ask God to forgive you, he's forgiven you. Don't think that now you're forever estranged from God and he could never love you again. He could never accept you. He could never forgive you. Uh, Whatever it is, he will forgive it. He will accept you. Remember who God is. Loving, patient, kind, merciful. When you've got enemies, when when you've got issues that are so large, remember that God is all-powerful. God is strong. When you have an enemy, remember that God is sovereign. He rules over all things, all peoples, all entities. Satan cannot do anything that God does not want to happen in our lives. Reflect on the person of God. And as you reflect, pray. As you reflect, say, Lord, I'm thankful for your sovereignty. I'm thankful that you are strong. Teach me about your strength. Teach me about your goodness. Lord, forgive my doubts, my anxieties. Let me rest. Let me be at peace. Let me glorify you in the way in which I respond to life's situations, life's hardships. May people see you at work in our lives. May we acknowledge our weakness For it begins with that sense of humility. Lord, I need you. I can't handle this on my own. But he has not called us to handle it on our own. And he brings things into our lives. As Paul said, when he prayed, 
three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Many times, God brings things into our lives to help us once again realize our inadequacy, our insufficiency, our dependency. We are finite people. We are dependent upon God. And the sooner we learn that, and the more often we will practice that, of just recognizing, I am dependent upon God. Without him, we can do nothing. May God give us the ability then to rest, to be it still, to be still, to rejoice, and actually look forward to the night hours when we can communicate and commune with God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us in our walk with you. Help us to be still, to respond with the proper trust that we are to have. Lord, our lives are filled with anxiety, with frustrations, with problems. All of us have things that we face that are just beyond our control. Oh, Lord, help us to rest in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.